0: You're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. For more sermons or information about our church, please visit ktnaz.org or like Ketchikan Naz on Facebook. All right, children, we have a special message for you today. So you can come forward, but I have. Um, Uh, You cannot touch the stage, okay? Because I'm doing delicate science this morning, and uh, your parents would not want any of this on your clothing. So um, Jesus said, let the little children come, but come no further, Uh, (laughs) uh, for safety's sake this morning, okay? So kind of spread out, make sure you all can see what I've got going on up here, okay? So if um, taller, older children can scoot their way to the back, and smaller, younger children can scoot their way to the front. That way, everybody can see. Okay, and get everybody squared away over here. All right. Okay. So, can everybody see these three? Okay. Wait. I'm just going to have you uh, lean back off the. Yeah. There we go. Okay. This this could be dangerous. We we hope this turns out okay. So. Uh, we, we won't spill anything or throw anything, and we will, we will go for it. I'm going to kneel down here. You all still see me? All right, so I wanted to talk to you guys today about Jesus. I'm going to talk to your parents about Jesus, but I want to talk to you guys about Jesus um, in a way that um, really helped me understand what God did for us. So I want to tell you a little story using some visual aids, okay? First off, who created everything? God. Okay, yeah, we don't have to raise our hands. You just shout it out. So we're going to say Jesus, right? So this is my jar of Jesus this morning. And uh, and Jesus was before the world, right? And so He created everything that is in the world. Who did He create? Adam and, Eve. Adam and Eve, right? And and us, right? So we'll put you. Here's a jar of you. So we've got Jesus and you, okay? What happened in the Garden of Eden? Do you guys remember? Satan, Satan and, and sin. And what did Adam and Eve do? Satan. Right. We're, that's pretty good. Yeah. Spider-Man? Okay. Hi, Spider-Man. Do you, do you know what happened in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve? Do you remember the story about the, the apple tree? They ate that. The, the apples on the apple tree. Were they supposed to? No. Nope. No. So what happened? What entered the world? Sin. Yeah. Sin. This is my jar of sin. Okay. So how many of you guys have sinned? All right. Parents, you can raise your hand too. Children, turn around, look at the audience. Parents, keep your hands up. Look at that, okay? I should raise my hand, okay? Everyone in this room has sinned. So in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, they gave us something called sin, and everyone who was born is born with sin. So I'm going to add a little bit of sin to you, okay? Oh, look at that. You are, you, you've got sin in you. Um, there's a problem there, right? Um, there. Yeah, there's a big problem there because because God God doesn't have sin, does he? What happens what happens if sin tries to to go with God? Can sin exist in Jesus? No. So so we have a problem. How can we with sin in our hearts have relationship with Jesus who can't be with sin? We have a problem. So so what 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 could possibly happen to help us out with this? Okay. We have to ask Jesus to forgive us. And what happens when we ask Jesus to forgive us? Ooh, ooh, ooh. I know, I know. He forgives our sins, right? So what happens if I take Jesus and I pour Jesus into you? your sin disappears. Jesus gets into you and makes you clean. But what about the rest of the sin in the world? What happens there? Is there still bad stuff in the world? Yeah, even if you've asked Jesus into your heart, there's still bad things that are going on in the world. Do you think that Jesus can take care of all of the sin in the world? Yeah? Well, on the cross, when Jesus died, God poured out all of the sin of the world. That means all of your mom and dad's sins, all of your grandma and grandpa's sins, all of your friend's sins, all of the sins of everyone who is ever born. He poured it onto Jesus. And it goes away. And we are left in Jesus. Jesus is holy. Jesus makes you holy. And sin is completely gone. And that is the hope that we have in Christ. That's why we're excited about Easter, because he does away with this completely. It's not even in the equation anymore. And you guys are united with Jesus, and you look like Jesus now, don't you? You have the same kind of character and nature, and you're um, clean and made whole. And you've even got some froth on the top, which we're going to call the Holy Spirit, that lives (laughs) with you and works with you. Um, and, uh, And God wants that for you today. God wants you guys to trust in him, to make you clean, just like he made you to be. And so I want to ask you guys a question this morning. Do you guys want Jesus to make you clean this morning? Yeah. Yes? Do you want to, um, do you want to um, live in a world where there is hope that you don't have to sin, but that you can choose to do the righteous thing instead? Yeah. Yes? Well, I tell you what, Jesus wants that too. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you guys want to ask Jesus into your heart and make, have him make you clean like he made this, uh, this vessel clean, then if you pray that with me, either out loud or in your heart, that would be the first step in letting God make you clean again and washing you from your sins. And if you already love Jesus in your heart, then you can ask Jesus to help you stay that way, to help you choose things that are good and holy instead of choose things that are sin. Yes. Okay, you can take a tissue. We, we, we approve of tissues here. All right, so I'm going to come sit over here, so I'm a little closer, okay? And I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to ask that you fold your hands, put your hands in your lap, okay, that way they're not busy, and that you close your eyes, and, and we will pray, okay? So you pray with me either out loud or in your hearts if you want to uh, have Jesus make you clean. Jesus, we love you so much, and we're thankful that you died on the cross for our sins. And we know that you want to make us holy. And right now we want to ask you to forgive us of our sins, the things that we've done that we shouldn't have done. Please help us to choose things that are holy and not things that are sinful. And we're thankful that you rose from the dead and have given us life with you forever and ever and ever. We love you and will serve you and follow you all the days of our lives. Amen. Isn't that good? Isn't it good that you guys can know that God is with you forever and always and makes you look like him? Uh-huh. All right. Now, what I want you guys to do is Miss Angela is somewhere. Do you have, did you already hand them out? Oh. Okay. Um, Miss Angela is going to give you guys a, um, a little activity sheet that will talk about Jesus and give you guys some crafts and coloring projects and puzzles and stuff to sort out. So, um, Okay. So I guess you go back to your seats and one of those will arrive for you. Um, at your seat shortly thereafter. Parents, I'm afraid I don't have science for you, Um, but if you are interested in how that happened, um, I would be more than willing to share my trade secrets, okay? If you uh, have your Bible with you, we're going to be in John chapter 20 today, okay? Um, And if you don't have a Bible, that's totally cool. We have Bibles under the chairs, so you can reach down and grab one under the chair. I think it's the blue covered one. If you pull out the gray covered one, you might end up singing a song instead of reading the scriptures with us. That would be okay too, I suppose. You know, um, I, I'm assuming since we have lots of children in the room here uh, that we have lots of experience playing peekaboo with a baby. Have any of you guys ever played peekaboo with a baby where you do the and you disappear? Okay. Um, you know, uh, there's something I love about that game, and you guys probably do too, because there's this. Um, there's this shock and awe on the face of a little baby when you completely disappear, and you're gone. I mean, you're, to their worldview, you have absolutely disappeared. You're no longer there, and then you pop your face out of your hands, and all of a sudden, you're back, and they can't figure out how this great feat of magic happened. Um, I, uh, I found this picture. You mean to tell me you don't go anywhere when we play peekaboo? Um I love that baby's face. It's been used for lots of things. Uh, this one I thought was fitting this morning for the peekaboo thing. Um, see, what's interesting about children's brains is they don't, um, at that age, have the ability to deal with abstract and concrete reasoning. So little babies actually can't understand the fact that if they can't see your face, then you're definitely not there. You don't exist anymore if they can't see your face. So you're gone. Your body's there. They can see your hands, they can hear your voice but without being able to see your face, their little brains don't fully recognize that you are there. You're just gone. You're just, you've disappeared in this great feat of magic, and that's why kids tend to have separation anxiety. Younger kids tend to struggle with that because when you step out of the room for like a millisecond or you leave them at uh, day, daycare or preschool or in the nursery somewhere, you're gone. You're gone forever, and children struggle to understand up to a certain point that you are maybe, maybe you won't come back because everything is final for them in those moments. Little children don't have a concept of time. So they don't have a concept of, I'll be back in five minutes, means nothing to small children. We'll be there in ten minutes means, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Okay. Sometimes for me as well, actually. Um, so um, little children tend to be sad about your absence... So you give them clues like, I'll be back after dinner. I'll come pick you up when you have finished the craft project. I will see you tomorrow morning. When you wake up is when you will see me again. We give them concrete clues to tell them when we will be back again so that while they will be sad, there will be at least this hope that you are going to return again, that you are going to come back. And then when you do, they're super excited to see you. So when Jesus was nearing the time of his arrest, he wanted to pull his disciples together and give them clues that he was not going to disappear forever. He pulled them together at a meal time, and he, he called them little ones. It was a term of endearment. He was basically saying, my dear little children. He was recognizing the fact that they were going to struggle with the fact that he was not going to be with them for a period of time. So he pulled them aside... And he said, uh, he said, little ones, um, little ones, I love you. Um, and I know that you're a little bit childlike in your faith and you don't fully understand everything that I've talked about thus far. But he sat down with his friends and he said this, a little while longer and you will no longer see me. And then again in a little while you will see me. And the disciples asked themselves, what is he telling us? We don't understand what he's talking about. They were doing this whole peekaboo thing. A little while you see me, a little while you then where'd Jesus go? And a little while you'll see me again. Jesus was setting them up for his death and his resurrection. For a time he would not be seen by them, and they would panic, and they would become insecure, and they would not know what was going to happen because they could not see Jesus and they would have separation, anxiety. But God didn't want them to have life without hope. So he said, For a little while you will not see me, but then Then you will see me again. The story goes on to say that when they see him again, they will be filled with joy and hope and an overwhelming sense of peace. See, Jesus was preparing them for his death and resurrection. And this morning, we're going to read a story about four people who struggled with this truth. Even though Jesus pulled them aside and said, A little while longer and you won't see me, and then you will see me again. There are four people that struggled with that truth. We're going to read their story, and hopefully we will find ourselves in one of their stories as well. So I would ask you all to stand for the reading of the word. It is a moderately long passage, so if you uh, must sit down partway through, um, it's not disrespecting God, that's totally fine. Um, I just want to give you the freedom to know that since it's a longer chapter, you have the freedom to sit down if you so need to do. John chapter 20 tells the story of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, and it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb, and she ran, and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and she said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. And so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb, and both of them were running together, But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came behind following him. He went right into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths were laying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head. It was not laying with the rest of the cloths, but it was folded up neatly by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and he believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look inside the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. And having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus, but she didn't know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, would you tell me where you've laid him? I will take him from you. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means my blessed teacher. And Jesus said to her, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but I go to, go to my brothers and say, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that all those things he had said to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now, Thomas one of the 12, called the twin, he wasn't with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the hands in the mark of the nails and place my fingers in the mark of the nails and my hand into his side, I will never believe. Late days later, the disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them this time. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. And then he looked at Thomas and he said, put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand, place it in my side, do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the word of the Lord this morning. You may be seated. Now we've got a couple different people in this story. A couple main characters. Mary is the first character in this story. Now, what's interesting about Mary? Here's her little. Uh, here's her little testimony. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, "I have seen the Lord, and that He had said these things to her." But what's interesting about Mary is what did she go looking for that morning? What was she searching for that morning when she went to the tomb? Anybody? A dead body. She was not looking for a risen Lord. She went looking for a dead body. She, Mary Magdalene, loved Jesus so much. But even she didn't believe the resurrection. She went looking for a body. She went looking for a dead body. And no empty tomb was evidence enough to convince her that Jesus was alive. Only a living, breathing encounter with the risen Lord Jesus would change her heart of grief, to her heart of joy. And you know, Jesus knew her pretty well. He knew exactly where to find her that morning. He knew that she was worried and she was sad. See, Mary was weeping. Weeping because Jesus was dead. Weeping because she couldn't see him anymore. Weeping because she'd lost a friend. Weeping because when she showed up to pay respects to her dead friend, her dead Lord, she couldn't find the body. And she was horrified because... Well, how would you feel if your loved ones were suddenly gone from where you had buried them? It would be horrifying to you, wouldn't it? Someone had desecrated the tomb of someone you love so deeply. And so she wept. She just she couldn't do anything else. She went and sounded the alarm, and then she came back. She sat in front of the empty tomb and just wept and wept. And all the meanwhile, Peter and John are running and looking, and she's just weeping mourning the loss of Jesus yet again. She just needed Jesus. And Jesus knew that. So Jesus came and met with her. He knew exactly where to find her in the, in the, in the cemetery. He knew exactly where she was. So he appeared to her in risen form. And she didn't even know it was him. He, uh, he no longer had the body that was disfigured by the crucifixion. He had been resurrected to glory, and he had this new body that, well, was just great because it was Jesus' resurrected body. So she didn't recognize him right away, and she assumed he was the gardener. And so she asked Jesus, where have you taken Jesus? Where, where is the body? If you've taken it, please just give it back to me because I'm so sad that I just want my dead Jesus back. That would make me feel so much better. And so all he did was say her name, Mary. How often had she heard that voice before? How often had she heard Jesus speak into her sorrow to save her life from sin? You know, Mary Magdalene was one of those characters in Scripture that had lived a life that was far from where God would want her to live. Her testimony would be chock full of all the things that you probably wouldn't want to talk about, but should, because God can make them all whole again. And he'd, he'd, he'd worshiped with her and loved her and prayed for her and redeemed her. And she was a new creature in him. And when she heard her name called by Jesus, it was probably like hearing it for the first time when he said to her, Mary, your sins are forgiven. Blessed are you, Mary, that your sins are forgiven, for you've trusted in me. And so he called out to her in the graveyard, Mary. And I imagine she turned around recognizing the voice and suddenly recognizing the person. And her sorrow turned to immediate joy. And scripture tells us that she responded to Jesus the same way that a small child responds to seeing their parent for the first time after a separation. Instead of yelling out father, which is, or mother, which is what the small children would do, and run with their hands up and yell, mommy, daddy, mommy, daddy, you know, and wrap their arms around your legs and tackle you and give you hugs and kisses. That's what she did with Jesus. She practically threw her arms out so much so that Jesus says, okay, I can't breathe. Loosen your grip just a little bit. She said, rabbi, and she grabbed a hold of him. She was so excited to see Jesus alive because she thought he was dead and he was alive like there, like she could hug him and grab him and hear his voice and talk to him. And she was no longer overwhelmed with grief. For her life and her sorrow and this dead Lord, she was overwhelmed with joy over a resurrected God who yet again chose to meet her in her grief, yet again chose to meet her where she was sad and incomplete and uncertain and scared and didn't know where to go, so she just sat amid death because that was the only place she knew to be. You know, perhaps your life is like Mary's life. Maybe you've lived a life that um, you've even wondered if you should darken the doors of a church because God might, you know, zap you with his holy wrath or whatever, and you worry about that, but that's not how God works. God wants any and all people to come, and like he does with so many people in Scripture and pretty much everyone in this room, including myself, All of the sins that we have accumulated in our life, the things that we have done that have not pleased God, God says, I don't care. Come. Come and be part of my life. And maybe you love God like Mary loved God because she had been forgiven of her sins, but you grieve the way your life has gone. And you're not sure at this point if Jesus can enter into the amount of grief or sin or sorrow that you are experiencing and you know that He is a good God because you have heard the Scriptures, but you don't quite believe that He can be there for you now, and so you just sit in the graveyard of your life and you cry, and you weep and you moan. But you need to know that like Mary had the encounter, you can too. God desires to meet you in your grief. He desires to say, Your name with such love and compassion and mercy that everything else gets washed over and you are overwhelmed, brimming over with the joy of the voice of your Savior to the point that you just can't believe that he is there and he's demonstrating his love for you in such a tangible way because he's risen. He's not dead. And nothing in your life is greater than what Christ has done on the cross for you and risen from death for you. Maybe you're like Mary. Maybe you're sorrowful. Maybe you need to hear Jesus call out your name today. And he will. He will indeed. But maybe you're not like Mary. Maybe you're not the one who bemoans your past and sits in the graveyard of sorrow. Maybe you're more like Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved, John. He wrote the, he wrote the account we read today, so he didn't name himself he just said, Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved, um, that's how he, he referenced himself. Peter and John, maybe you're like them, right? Um, here's their, uh, their portion of the story. Jesus said, because you have, you have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not yet seen and have believed. Because what was Peter and John's story? Married, tears, just like running the makeup all over her face, like the gnarly kind of sobbing runs up to Peter and John, okay? They've taken him. Peter and John are like, what? And so they, well, you know Peter from Scripture. He's just impulsive. He doesn't think. He just does. And John is just, he's so in love with Jesus. Um, he just takes off after Peter, and they're gone the way to the graveyard. They are running all the way there because they have to see that the tomb is empty. They have to see that it's true, They heard the tomb was empty. They ran to investigate it. John, though, John stopped at the door. I mean, burial has always been sacred, right? Um, In all cultures, there's this kind of sacred, hallowed space. You put the body in the tomb, and then you don't disturb that anymore because that's the final resting place. And so to see the stone rolled away would have been disturbing on its own. You just didn't. You didn't go in, right? You just didn't go in to where the bodies have been laid. So John runs and runs and runs, and he beats Peter to the tomb, but he stops at the door. He can look in. He sees the wrappings of the body, um, but no body, and he doesn't go in any further. And whether it's out of shock or reverence or fear or, I don't know, a whole mix of emotions that can go in with that moment... He just stops at the, at the door, and I imagine he just kind of stands there not knowing what to do. I mean, Jesus isn't there, and he doesn't know how to process that because part of him had hoped that what Mary said wasn't true. Part of him had hoped that Jesus was there, and then there wouldn't be this mix of emotions. But then Peter comes running up behind John, and Peter's just like headlong into everything without thinking. So he just plows straight into the tomb. He doesn't even stop. He passed right by John. And I wonder if John was like, no, no, no. But it was too late. Peter had gone in the tomb. Peter went further in than John. And I imagine there was just dead silence. And John was out there kind of wringing his hands and not sure if he should follow. And Peter comes out and says, the grave clothes are folded. Like, they're folded? Who... Who, folds, who takes the, the hundred pounds of spices and wrappings off the body, folds it, and puts it back? Grave robbers don't do that. Who does that? And they were wrestling with what this might mean because it wasn't as if someone just picked up the entire body, took it away. The body had been unwrapped from the inside out. And the clothes were just folded neatly, laying there. Grave robbers would not have unwrapped a body. Thieves would not have done that. Someone who wanted to discredit the resurrection story would not have even stolen the body. So Peter and John are like, okay, the body's not here. The linens are folded. They weighed the evidence... They left the tomb without meeting Jesus. They confirmed in their minds that he wasn't, he wasn't there, but he wasn't stolen. And that was enough for Peter and John to move from simple fact to faith that morning. They took the words of Jesus. You see me now, but in a little while you won't, but then you will again. They took those words... As a map of what was going to happen. And they said, well, we saw Jesus at the meal. And then he was crucified and then we put him in the tomb. And now we don't see him. He's actually not even in the tomb we don't see him. It's not like he's behind the wall and we don't see him. But he's actually not there. He's actually not in the tomb. And Jesus told us that would happen. He said we'd see him and then not see him and then we'd see him again. So, he must not be here. He must be alive. He went from fact to faith. Then perhaps you are a fact person. Perhaps you are the kind of person, you got to have your ducks in a row, right? You are a spreadsheet individual. You like your checklists. You live by neatly organized piles and your desk is clutter free. Logic makes your world go round. And if you can't see it, then it's not real. But for Peter and John, an absence of something was proof of something. The absence of a body that morning, with the presence of neatly folded clothes, told them something occurred in that tomb. A stone had been sealed on the outside, yet it had been opened. And I ran across a sermon um, excerpt this past weekend, that said, the stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out. The stone was rolled away to let witnesses in. You know, I thought, wow, I'm stealing that. That's good, right? The stone was... That Jesus is God. He didn't need the stone to move for him to be resurrected from the tomb. What he wanted was people to see, hey, I'm no longer in the tomb. They had moved from facts to faith. The stone had been moved and they had seen... The absence of the body, which meant the presence of Jesus alive. And Peter and John had chose to believe what they had been told before. They believed the resurrection. They embraced it as truth, and it made all the difference in their life. But then we run into another person. We've got Mary, who's talked to Jesus and actually, like, did the suffocation hug on Jesus. We've got Peter and John, who've not seen the resurrected Jesus. Jesus but have chosen to believe anyway. And then we've got Thomas, who's heard all of these accounts already. And you wonder, if it's you, like you're the last to find out, you're like, well, I wasn't at the tomb, I missed that. Jesus didn't say my name in the graveyard. I wasn't with the other ones the day Jesus, or what, does Jesus not love me? What would that do for your faith? You felt like you were left alone, and Jesus came back to everybody but you? And so he was struggling that morning, He was called the Doubter. Even to this day, boy, I wouldn't like that nickname. Who are you? I'm Thomas the Doubter. It's not a great one to get stuck with. Ultimately, it didn't define him, though. He became a believer. He trusted Jesus. It just took him a little bit to get there. He would not believe that Jesus was alive physically unless he could touch the wounds. It was not just that he had to see the absence of a body. He had to, like, that's gross, but he had to touch... The actual wound to know that it wasn't painted on, that that was really Jesus, that that was really where the nails went. He wanted to know. See, Jesus met him and said, put your fingers here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Not just on my side, but in my side. gives the impression that Jesus really wanted Thomas to enter into the idea that this was Jesus. Jesus was really pierced for him, but Jesus was really alive for him again. What's great about this story is Jesus met Thomas in his doubts. Like Mary had her sorrow and her grief, Jesus met Mary there. Those that just plow headlong into what's going on here and what do the facts say and how can I figure this out and does one plus one equal two? Well, it did because Jesus had given them a roadmap that said, you won't see me, but you will see me later on. Let's put two and two together, and then you'll figure that out at the tomb. And then there's Thomas who says, I can't believe unless I touch. I can't believe unless Jesus and I have physical contact together. And maybe that's you. Maybe you are the touch it, taste it, feel it, smell it, experience it. With every fiber of your being, you learn by doing. Okay? I'm one of those people. I have to learn by doing. My hands have to be in the thing. I have to... to, Just get messy in the experiments to learn it. That's how I learned best. That's how God wired me. That's how I think Thomas was wired. And so Jesus approached Thomas in that upper room, and he didn't chastise him. He didn't say, why don't you believe me? Everybody else believes me. Thomas, get with the picture. No, he walked up to Thomas, and he said, I want you to believe. Don't be disbelieving. Believe. Touch. If that's what it's going to take, touch. If that's what it's going to take, put your hand here. I want to do anything that it's going to take, Thomas, so that you would believe. It puts us in a predicament, if you're like Thomas, though, because today, right now, Jesus is not physically in this room, because he is physically ascended. He is in heaven right now, ruling and reigning. And so you wonder, perhaps, if you are like Thomas, how can I touch Jesus? How can I know for sure that he is alive? Well, there is a kind of touch that Jesus uses that is different than physical, but is physical. It's the kind of touch that you say, man, I'd really like to know, but I don't know if I can. I, I think I believe, but I have unbelief because he's not in front of me. It's that kind of inkling in your heart where that tugging that says, I want this to be true with all of the fiber of my being. And God's just looking for that heart. And that inkling is God touching your heart. That tug that says, I think I want, I'm not sure if I believe, but I'm kind of, if he was here, I would know. Well, if you feel that tugging on your heart, that is him here this morning. That is God saying, I want not just you to touch my wounds, but I want to touch your wounds. I want to reach into your life and let you know the healing power that I have. One of the greatest prayers in Scripture is one of the shortest. I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. So, what was it that the disciples had come to believe? What was it that we as Christ followers have come to believe? It is simply this it is simply um, the gospel. And the gospel follows like this. Like I told the children, God is holy. And he created absolutely everything on the face of the planet, including us. But into the garden, sin entered the world. And from that point in time, every single person, you, me, your mama, your papa, your children, everybody, everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there is nothing that we can do in our life to make, to do enough good to overcome the sins that have offended God. We can't work hard enough do enough things, say enough mantras, be good enough. The only thing that could occur is a substitution. And so Jesus came to earth, and he substituted himself, and he died on the cross for the sins of the entire world, just like I showed with those vessels. All of the sins of the world poured onto Jesus, and they were gone, forgiven, washed clean. And Jesus offers forgiveness to anyone and everyone who would say, I will believe, help my unbelief. If we are faithful to repent and confess, He is faithful to forgive. And while we can't see Him, we can know His presence by the Holy Spirit which He will give us. And one day, we have the hope that we will see Him in glory. Um, It says this, beloved, we are God's children now. And what has not yet appeared will appear. We know that when He appears, at the end of time, we will be like Him, made clean like that vessel holy, pure before God. Anyone who has hope in Christ is purified by Christ. I'm going to end how John ended, okay? The story did not end with the Epic of Thomas. It ends with this. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these things were written in this book, So that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing upon Jesus Christ, the Son of God, you may have life. See, 2,000 years later, we still need Jesus. 2,000 years later, we still need to be forgiven of our sin. And God is not a cosmic jerk. He is not playing a cosmic game of hide and seek where he says, Now you don't see me and you'll never see me, and you'll never know if I'm there, and you'll never know if I love you because I'm hiding. That is not how God works. God is not a cosmic jerk. He is a cosmic God who loves you more than anything on the face of the planet, and he wants to reveal himself to you today because he has appeared. But all that is left is the question at the end of this chapter. Will you believe upon Jesus for eternal life? Will you? Give up the things that you have tried that have failed, the things that you have searched for your whole life that you've searched for to find meaning in, fact and relief from sorrow and something to fill the gap in your heart or to bind the wounds, to be real and to inspire you at the deepest level. The things that you have searched for, you don't need to search anymore. People have tried so many things. They've tried gurus and mantras and diets and friendships and drugs and rituals. They've tried absolutely nothing. They've tried work and possessions and relationships. And all of these things that we do to try and fill that gap, that I'm searching for something bigger than I am. And scripture this morning has showed us what we are searching for. We're searching for the resurrected Lord who's here this morning. If we lean in his direction, God will do the rest. If we but say, I, I don't know. I don't know, God. I guarantee you God wants to meet you in that I don't know. I guarantee he wants to reach down into your heart and give you a little hug so that your heart feels that tug and you go, man, I want that. I want to believe that. Help my unbelief. So this morning, it's just the question. Will you move from fact to faith? will you let god meet you in the sorrow? will you let god meet you in your doubts? and there is no better way to say yeah, i think i want that than to partake in the lord's supper, communion, the the meal that jesus himself instituted when he said, now you don't, and now you see me in a little while you won't, but forever and for always when you take this meal, i want you to remember that i am with you. you are my covenant people. and so on the night that he was betrayed, he took a simple cup of wine and he took a piece of bread. And he instituted this meal called the Lord's Supper. It's just a redo of Passover. And this morning, I, wanna, I want us to take this together. Many churches will say communion is only for those who are part of the church. That's not true. You could be part of this church, part of another church. You might be not even be part of a church. This might be your first day in church. But I guarantee you, God wants everyone to meet him at this meal. God wants everyone to step forward in faith and say, I'm not sure if I believe, but I'm willing to place my unbelief in the hands of what I think is the risen God. And see if he will meet me in my sorrow or my grief or my disbelief. And this meal can be your first step there today. We're going to pass the elements around. I would ask that you would hold them until we can all partake together. If I could have my ushers come forward. And as these elements are being distributed, you just take this time to pray, to seek God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. If you feel that tugging, go ahead and talk back. I guarantee he will too. After Jesus was resurrected he met with his disciples because Jesus loved them so much. and He shared a meal with them on the beach. It was kind of like this all over again. A meal not filled with sorrow but one filled with hope because he had been risen and he shared fish and simple wine and bread and it reminded them of this meal that he said partake until i come again and he'd come again so they partook with him and then he'd say partake of this again until i come again and that's our hope we know that jesus will come again so i'm gonna go ahead and pray i'd say with everybody if i know it's loud and hot and crazy in here the question is begging to be asked you want a relationship with Jesus today? Do you want your relationship with Jesus to grow today? Do you want your unbelief to become belief? You want to know that God loves you regardless of what has gone on in your life or is going on in your life? Let's go ahead and close our eyes. And do the standard close your eyes, bow your heads. And I would say this: if there's anyone in this room who felt that tugging on their heart this morning. Who would say, God's speaking to me, even if I don't fully understand it. Would you just raise your hand so that I can see your hand and pray for you? Thank you. Thank you. I see that. Thank you. I see that. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, I know that you're here because you're speaking to folks. You're speaking to me. I thank you for this meal which you brought into our lives so many years ago, in which you lifted the cup and the bread before your disciples, and you said, This is the body which is broken for you. And this is the cup of the new covenant which is poured out for you. So long as you partake in these things, you are proclaiming that I am your Lord, died for your sins, risen again to give you life. Take this and do this in remembrance of me. So, all God's people, take. And do this in remembrance of what Christ has done for you. Lord, we love you. We ask your hand of protection on those folks who raise their hands to say, I want more. I want you. As the communion element makes its way to our stomach, we recognize it's just a wafer in juice but we also recognize that in obedience of taking it, something mysterious happens as we commune with you. Commune with us, Father, as we leave from this place today in absolute celebration of life and hope in you that you are not dead, but you are risen, risen indeed. To you be the glory and the honor forever and ever. Amen. Amen. you guys believe that he lives in your heart? Yeah, Yeah? that's good. We can say that louder. Do you believe that he lives in your heart? Wow. Okay, that was really good. That was the best yet so far. So the benediction is this. Go and know that Jesus is alive. He loves you and he wants to encourage you and be with you and love you and love you and love you forever and ever and always. Live in that truth today and tomorrow and forever. Children, you may be dismissed with your parents in moderate chaos to the egg hunt.